When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 182 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. On today's show, I am outlining four minimalist mindset shifts that are crucial for long-term simplicity. Specifically on today's show, we are discussing the concepts of loss aversion, the endowment effect, the competition factor, and my absolute favorite, the Diderot effect. It is often the case that we are our own worst enemies, right? It's easy to fall back into old habits and old ways of thinking. It's too easy, in fact, to revert back to what we've always done. That's why today I am speaking with Lauren Jones, fellow minimalist, fellow mom, and fellow podcast host of the Simple Life podcast. Lauren is here to offer the unique insight she gained from the process of significantly paring down her possessions and drastically changing her lifestyle. Lauren, I'm so happy to have you on. How are you? I am so wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. I'm really excited to talk to you about four very specific mind barriers to minimalism that I had as I was starting out on my minimalism journey, but also the same mind barriers that I hear from my listeners all the time. My inbox is flooded with all of you writing to me about very specific um, issues, questions, concerns that we have in our mind as we declutter. So before we get into all of that good stuff, Lauren, tell my listeners who you are and what you do. Yes. So my name is Lauren. I am from Boise, Idaho. My husband and I have three little boys. We have ages three, two, and one. um, So we're very, very busy. And we just love being outdoors, spending a lot of time hiking, running, exploring around our Idaho town. I love cooking from scratch when I'm not in the kitchen or running. I'm out with my kids. So we're always together and being active. Um, Aside of that, I run a full-time blog that focuses on simple and intentional living And I'm the host of the Simple Life Project podcast that inspires people to seek out simplicity, live minimally, and just to do their best to uh, do with less. And I like to kind of hit home the message that you can do it even with kids. Well, I love the connection between having three boys under three and pursuing a simple life. A lot of listeners, I would guess, would say, how on earth can you simplify life with three boys under three? And I guess my question here is, how did you find yourself interested in slowing down, simplifying, and where did you 
first put your efforts? Yeah, you know, I wasn't seeking this out. It kind of found me. My journey to Simple started a few years ago when my oldest son was around three months old. My husband and I got serious and purged around 75% of the items in our home. We just started there. And I wasn't really focused so much on sustainability or anything like that. I was just focused on getting simplified. And then we decluttered and never really looked back. I think it's important to do a large declutter and do so responsibly. Back then, I, I sold items. I took them to donation centers, um, but a lot of secondhand consignment shops. But when I entered into motherhood, I think that was enough of a push for me to completely change my thought patterns about consuming, as well as taking a harder look into the products we were using on our bodies and in our home. And I think even going back farther before motherhood, I was always taught growing up that less is more. And so the simple life has always kind of been a part of me, but I didn't know it at the time. I like what you said there about how you grew up believing that less is more. And I think for a lot of my listeners and definitely for myself, we bought into the notion that more is more. You also mentioned that you purged 75% of your possessions. So I feel as though you're the perfect person to talk to when we talk about getting over those mind barriers to minimalism. And so we're going to talk about four specific ones today. And two of them, the first two are rooted in science. So if you're ready, we're going to hop right in. Let's do it. Okay. The first one is loss aversion. And that is just a really fancy way of saying that humans are primed to keep what they have, keep their possessions, because we don't like losing what we own. Even if we know that the thing that we own isn't adding to our lives, isn't sparking joy, isn't fulfilling its utility, we don't like losing or letting go of our stuff. So my first question here when we talk about loss aversion is, did you experience that that feeling in your gut of, oh, I don't want to get rid of this stuff? And if so, how did you deal with that? Definitely. I think everyone goes through this all the time. And I think it's truly a constant check-in thing. And I would say I have gotten over these barriers, but I haven't gotten over them forever. So I've learned a lot about myself and how to stop the barriers from holding me back and living more simply and uncluttered. So I think the first step with when you have loss aversion, which we all do, is like knowing that it's happening and then being able to almost like talk yourself through it. So our brains are so like by nature, they like to acquire gains and that's just something that we all do. And so I think those losses are like twice as psychologically powerful as the gains. So I don't think it's a surprise that losing what we own can be very hard for people to overcome, even if it's by choice, for example, if you're decluttering. But for me, my belongings that I eventually parted with were taking up my mental energy, my time, my money. They were taking more away from me than they were giving me. And I realized that I was gaining so much more by parting with them. And when I realized that, my mental clarity, my stress levels, my relationships, my productivity throughout the day, they were riding on um, these unnecessary items that I knew I had to get over losing them. Like they were just taking so much more away from me. So that I guess that would be the first thing I would say regarding loss aversion. Hmm. Humans are primed to accumulate. It's in our DNA. It stems back from the hunter-gatherer age where 
accumulating insured survival. And so bringing that fear of loss into the 21st century, we have no, or most of us, I should say, not all of us, but most of us are not in a position where our accumulations are going to ensure survival. So if a listener is listening right now, and if you know that you just don't like the feeling of letting go of the stuff that is quote unquote yours, you have that pit in your stomach, I would suggest doing what Lauren just suggested, which is thinking about all you will gain when your basement is decluttered or when you can sit in your living room again or whatever the goal, the big goal may be. When you decluttered 75% of your house, did you have a big goal in mind that anchored your efforts? I just knew simple was going to be the least amount of stress on me as I, my husband and I were having kids. And so I had to really nail down like what simple meant to me before I even started purging. And so for us, simple just simply meant not overcomplicating processes, whether that be with our spending habits, our budgeting, or being mindful of quality purchases. I think supporting brands that don't greenwash was huge for us. It means less screens, less plastic, less consuming, more living. I think just knowing that first and then going from there. So for me, I guess I going back to your question, I think uh, the thing that I really had to think about was I need to be grateful for what I have. And when I'm grateful for what I have and your mind is focused on abundance versus scarcity, kind of like what you mentioned before, I think it makes it a lot more doable to think about actually decluttering. Mm. And just one more final word when it comes to loss aversion, it's for the parents out there. We can confront loss aversion in our children head on when they're young. And I'm thinking about my oldest daughter, who's seven, who is starting to really get that uh, feeling of, I don't want to part with what I own. I don't want to part with my toys. I don't want to part with my treasures. Even though the toys and the treasures are not necessarily played with, they're not considered favorites. It is just, they're hers. She owns them. And letting go of them often feels as though letting go of a piece of herself. I would say, and something I'm working on in my own house, is confronting that head-on with my seven-year-old and probably soon my four-year-old as a as a teachable moment. So I'm going to leave that there, and I'm going to move on to mind <laughs> barrier to minimalism number two, which is the endowment effect. And the endowment effect is backed by research, and it's a fancy way of describing the phenomenon that humans value items more because we own them. So let's say, here's an example. Let's say you have a TV from 1995 in your basement. It's probably not worth much. The price tag, if you were to sell that TV from 1995, you're not going to get a lot of money, if any money. But because you own it, you think it's more valuable than it is. Talk to me about the endowment effect in your life and as you decluttered your home. Yeah, this one's so tough because it's like hardwired into human nature. And it's something that 
it really, again, takes talking through and it's a cognitive effort to get over it essentially. And I don't think it's something that we ever just get over once and then move on forever. So for me, when I made the clear distinction that my stuff is simply just stuff, and this stuff is not usually 100% essential to actual survival, was when I was able to devalue the items in my possession, even though I own them. And whenever I had a problem with an item, I would walk through, I guess, a process that looks kind of like this. First, I would acknowledge that I have an issue surrounding this item. And then I would try to visualize my life and my home without it. And then I would immediately place it in my cell or my donate bin and I'd get it out of my sight. I wouldn't get rid of it. I would just get it out of my sight. Even if I valued it, even if I was worried to lose it, And then I would revisit it a few days later. And I almost always, I mean, I think I've done one item with about two weeks lag time. I almost always let it go once it goes in that donation bag or that bin to sell. And I forget it's there. And then I just, it just goes down in value. And I almost think about it kind of like cars. This is a really silly analogy, but this helps me a lot. And the moment you drive a car off a car lot, it loses value. And you know it loses value. Everybody knows it loses value. And so I think about it when with an item I purchase at a store or that is in my possession, the minute it comes into my possession, it automatically loses value. And so it's easy to, I don't know, get offended when you try to sell something and it goes for less or you don't want to get rid of it. But um, it really, I think our stuff really isn't as valuable as we think it is. And so just kind of looking at it in different light has really helped me just get over this barrier and talk myself through it every time I'm having a problem with something. Yeah, we think our stuff is more valuable because it's ours when it might not be valuable to anybody else. I am, I don't want to tap myself on the back, but I am pretty darn great at not feeling the endowment effect in my life, and that's because I believe that every item has a purpose, has a utility. A TV is meant to be watched. A chair is meant to be sat on. A microwave is made to heat food. And if this item, the TV, the chair, the microwave, is sitting in the basement and it's not living up to its utility, then it has no value because it's not doing what it was meant to do, right? So I would say to anybody listening, if you have something in your basement, in your garage, in your living room, in your kitchen that you're not using, you could restore its value by passing it on to somebody who would actually use it right here, right now. Uh, You might not get what you paid for it. You probably won't. But I don't know. I guess I'll just leave that there. Do you have any thoughts on that? I just want to, I want to like air high five. You're speaking my language. I love it. It's like, get rid of it. It's not, you know, the purpose is over. I I 100% agree with you. I could just jump up and down. No, I have nothing else to add. You nailed it. (laughs) Just one final word here is that When we talk about value, we've been talking about the endowment effect in terms of monetary value, but let's also think about value in in other aspects too. Free time provides value. Mental clarity provides value, and less stress is certainly valuable. So when we think about valuing things more because we own them, I would encourage listeners to flip the switch and say, what will you gain by 
letting go of this item. We're going to move on to something that I continue to struggle with even as the host of this podcast, which is keeping up with the Joneses, that mind barrier, after a quick word from this week's sponsor. The Sustainable Minimalist Podcast is supported by Real Paper. The average American family uses three rolls of toilet paper per week, but there are big problems with conventional paper. Before it was toilet paper, it was a tree. And standing trees are cut down for our wiping needs every single day. Enter Real Paper, which offers a 100% bamboo solution. I appreciate that real paper is strong yet soft, and I also love that an entire month's supply arrives at my doorstep in completely plastic-free packaging. And as an intentional consumer, I feel good knowing that every roll of real paper purchased helps fund access to clean toilets for those in need. Ordering is as easy as heading to realpaper.com choosing how often you want your tree-free toilet paper delivered, and entering code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 25% off your first order. That's R-E-E-L-Paper.com, and be sure to use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 25% off. And we're back with Lauren Jones. We're going to talk about the phenomenon of keeping up with the Joneses, which is basically just a fancy way of saying that comparison, competition is rampant. And when researching for this episode, I was interested to learn that humans actually are wired, we're primed to compare and to compete with others. However, I would argue that in the age of social media, uh, in the age of you know, celebrities who sort of let us into their lives on Instagram, on wherever, uh, in the age of reality TV, Real Housewives, my favorite, shout out to Real Housewives. The comparison and the competition isn't a fair, isn't fair. It's not a fair game because we're competing with people on an economic sphere that's so far beyond the average layperson's reach that keeping up with the Joneses then is no longer about keeping up with your neighbor next door or keeping up with your sibling. It's about trying to compare or comparing and then trying to compete with people who (laughs) live completely different lives than ours. So I continue to struggle with the competition factor. Like, I am in my mid-30s, and I do find myself wondering, well, what is the marker of success for somebody who is in their mid-30s? Is it, I don't know. I don't even know what it is. Is it having a boat? (laughs) I don't know. Is it having two houses? I don't know what the marker is, but I do find myself wondering, like, okay, am I where where I'm supposed to be? Is my family... mm, where we're supposed to be? And I know that that is so backwards and so opposite of sustainable minimalism. So I'm wondering, you have a podcast all about simple living. How do you marry the competing values associated with simple living and keeping up with the Joneses? Yeah, first, I absolutely hate the saying because my last name is Jones, but 
I have accepted it. My husband and I have accepted it. We move on. <laughs> but I have a lot to say about the Joneses. To try to say it kindly, they piss me off. I don't like them. They don't have a lifestyle I want. They're, it just seems too expensive and wasteful. And even though it might shine on the outside, it's not something that appeals to me. And I think the Joneses make me tired. And the thought of chasing someone else's life instead of enjoying my own seems exhausting. And so I actually got over this one pretty easily, knowing I think just I was trying to come up like, okay, this one's hard for me. But actually, I it's very, very easy for me. And in, in when we're talking about the four barriers, this one was the most doable. And I think the thing that's helped us the most is just to know our goals as a family and being true to yourself. So you know, for for me being true to myself regarding purchases that really wouldn't fit into my lifestyle and the season that I am in with little kids. Um, I just know when we know the goals we're looking and working toward, I think the competing and the purchasing and the comparing starts to slowly fade. It doesn't make it go away, but I think it makes it, you know, lessen, if you will. And so for my family and I, my husband especially, we really value, for instance, being debt-free and it's a big deal to us. And so charging anything that would potentially interfere with that, just, it kind of makes me mad. And to be honest, it's nothing that, I don't know if it's anything really to be mad about, but I think for us, some of the tips that have helped us get over this is to lessen our exposure with the Joneses and to keep our eyes in the boat. I I can explain this one a little bit. Uh, This term is explained to me when I played college tennis. And if you're familiar with college tennis, the tennis courts are all side by side when you're playing a college duel. And the matches are all going at the same time. And then one of your teammates finishes and, you know, you could still be playing. And the match score could be tied three to three and you could be the tiebreaker. But it's important to keep your eyes on your own court because it could come down to you winning the whole duel. And it's just a lot of pressure. So my coach would always tell us, keep your eyes in the boat. And I could totally relay this and live this with life too. I think knowing our goals as a family and a person is the number one thing I would say for a tip. Uh, Just set some today if you don't have some. And, you know, know your necessity versus luxury and truly understand the difference between each two. And then be willing to make sacrifices for that goal and that focus and really um, just keep your eyes in the boat. I guess that's my biggest uh, kind of take home here. And I, it, it's extremely helpful. And um, another thing I would say is with lessening your exposure to the Joneses, I would say a lot of this falls on social media, right? There's so much going on in social media and it's really easy to see everyone's life in the snapshot. And so even if you lessen your time on social media by a couple hours a week, I think it's huge. And I think it's really impactful. For me, I got off Instagram two years ago. I haven't been on in two years. I, I haven't gone on Facebook in a year. And I just feel like I've, I've kind of um, distanced myself in that way. I think that's a little extreme. A lot of people you know, don't need to do that. But I think that also has played into this um, being helpful for, I guess, getting over keeping, with the, keeping up with the Joneses on a big scale, I guess. Hmm. I love everything you just said. I love the tennis analogy. I think what you're saying is for all of us, when we find ourselves interested 
in pursuing a minimalist lifestyle, there's always a reason. And there's almost always a really, really powerful reason. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the stuff. Maybe you are experiencing stress and anxiety. Maybe you're sick of cleaning up after your family. Whatever the reason is, usually it's a real big reason. And I usually say, stay in your lane. That's good. <laughs> that's essentially what you're saying. But uh, stay in your lane. I never played tennis. So stay in your lane makes a little bit more resonates a little bit more with me. Uh, Bringing yourself back to the reasons why you hit play on a minimalist podcast to begin with is a great way of recentering yourself, not around what the Joneses are doing, but around the life that you aspire to lead. The final mind barrier to minimalism is one that I absolutely love because <laughs> it's just it's just so amazing. And I wrote about it a lot in my book. So if you read my book, you know what it is. It is the Diderot effect. The Diderot effect stems back to, I believe, the 19th century in France. There was this man named Mr. Diderot, Denis Diderot to be specific. He essentially was gifted this fancy new red velvet robe. It was a robe. He loved the robe, and he wore it everywhere, and it was luxurious. It was fancy. And the red robe, over time, highlighted the shabbiness of his other stuff. So his writing desk, right? He has this fancy new special robe. He started looking at his writing desk with with scorn, like it looked extra shabby. And if we are going to bring this to the 21st century, it is the phenomenon that happens when we buy one nice thing, we incorporate it into our house, and then everything around this new nice, shiny, pristine thing looks drab and shabby as a result. So this isn't so much to decluttering, but it is related to maintaining a decluttered house. How do you, Lauren, deal with the Diderot effect in your life? Oh, man. I went through this last year when my washing machine finally broke down after 10 years of hard work. I needed to replace it, which meant I wanted to redo our entire laundry room space. I actually do struggle with this a little bit. So I did a relatively cheap and fully DIY project on my laundry room, and it looked really nice. And then I looked outside my laundry room to realize I needed to paint my entire home a different color, as well as redo my fireplace, add a shiplap ceiling, one thing after another, to, you know, I, and we did it. But I realized like I fell into that trap as well. And it was just like one thing after another, after another. And to my gain, we're going to be selling the house soon, but so it, it will work out. But uh, I did fall victim to this. And I think as far as consuming things regarding this effect, it always comes back to budget for me. So if it's not in the budget, I have a really hard time purchasing it. And I think that's the first place that kind of helped me overcome, if you will overcome, I still deal with it all the time, but overcome this barrier and um, it comes down to budget. And then I think it also comes down to just not liking clutter and just knowing that if something will clutter our space, I don't want to buy it. So doubles and triples of things or trying to adopt the mindset to use it as long as you can until it can't be used anymore. Kind of like you mentioned before, I think those are a few uh, tips that helped me get over it when I do feel like the effect is coming on and I need to slow it down. And I would say too that the Diderot effect is 
a great reason to not, it's like another great reason to not bring more stuff into your house. (laughs) Because for 95% of us, bringing in something new and shiny is going to then create a spiral of of consumption, or we're going to want to spiral and consume more. So it's just another reason for us to really get intentional and conscious in our purchasing behavior. And again, ask yourself, like, do I really, really need this? Yes, that was the, that's part of my, I should have mentioned this before. This is part of my simple mindset pep talk when this effect comes over me, if you will. And I ask myself a a few questions and they're simple questions, but one of them is, do you need this? And is this essential? Is this in the budget? And is this a doable purchase for our family? Those are some of the questions that I ask myself before it starts getting out of control. Hmm. Well, I loved this conversation and I'm so excited you came on. I want you to please tell me and tell my listeners where they can find your blog, your podcast, and all of your good stuff online. Yeah. First, thank you so much for having me. I absolutely love your podcast. I love everything you stand for. Your book is going to be one of my best gifted items, and I just truly appreciate everything you do and everything you're putting out into the world. So I do want to say thank you to you as well. and. I run the Simple Life Project podcast. You can find me there. And I have a website. It's just my name. It's laurennicolejones.com. And I put out as much simplicity as I can into the world, as well as fun recipes and whatnot. But um, those are my two main places. And then I do a small YouTube channel that's just my name as well, Lauren Nicole Jones. I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lauren Jones of the Simple Life Podcast. Really quick today before we say goodbye, I wanted to let you know that I'm super excited about a new feature I'm bringing to the podcast. It's kind of like an eco tip, but it's more question and answer focused. So it works like this. You call my voicemail, you leave me a message, I will play your message verbatim on the show, your voice on the show, and then I will answer your question to the best of my ability. I have listed how exactly you can participate in this new feature in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 182. Now, really quick, this new question and answer feature to the show will only work if I get questions. So don't be shy. Leave me a voicemail question and let's do this. I'm so excited. On next week's show, I am speaking with an author all about the concept of circularity. What on earth is a circular economy and how on earth can we make it a reality? I will see you then. Have an amazing week and take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at bet mgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 